0: Hey, this is Haig Ballion, and you are listening to The Beijing Sessions. Today I talk to Dalton Grant Jr. Uh, Dalton and I have become a little bit friendly over the last little while. Uh, Really like the guy. He's an animator and he founded and he works at this shop here in Beijing called Floating World. And we, I mean, I learned a lot talking to him. I learned a lot about uh, story and I learned a lot about animation and what goes into it. And I think his passion really comes through after after our talk you should stick around i'm doing something a little bit different i was at something called siftus siftus stands for the china international fair for trade and services or something anyways massive ex- exhibition and part of it is this winter sports expo so i was there and i talked to a couple of people there and i produced a couple of reports this will be on Beijing Radio this week, but you can hear it as well uh, right here. So it's kind of interesting. I think it gives you a sense of what's happening here. I'm I'm a big winter sports guy. Uh, even though I'm Canadian, I don't play hockey. I, I, actually, I can't even skate, as my friends all know. But I do ski. I learned to ski about you know ten years ago in my early 30s uh, in Armenia of all places and uh, I've gotten to go skiing here a couple of times up in Changli where some of the Olympics are going to be taking place and then and there's a real push here independent of the Olympics to get more Chinese uh, people onto the slopes and learning to skate and slide and and all that good stuff and the fact is i I, I mean, I used to really hate the winter, and now I can't wait for the winter to come. It's finally getting a little chillier. It's not cold, but it's getting a little chilly. Starting to leave the house with trousers rather than, than shorts. Putting on closed-toed shoes. Pretty soon we'll have to put on a hoodie. Anyway, looking forward to skiing a little bit this, this winter. I don't know, it's unclear to me It is a little unclear to me whether Chongli will be available for skiers. The skiing season starts in November, but I'm not sure if they're closing up for the Olympics at all. I don't know. Um, Somebody knows. Let me know because I I, I hope to go. Um, I really want to go up there. It's so easy. One one crazy thing about going to Chongli. So they built this incredible high-speed train um, that takes you from the North Beijing train station to to the Chongli train station in 45 minutes. It goes like 350 kilometers an hour. It is incredible. And the only reason this train exists is to get people to the mountains to go skiing and snowboarding. Except you're not allowed to take any skis or snowboards onto the train with you. That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, I hope, I hope, that changes for this season i don't know if it will anyway so uh yeah a couple of reports at the end of this um episode pretty short like two and a half minutes three minutes each uh stick around for that if you want to Uh, but yeah listen here to my conversation with dalton grant jr Anyway, so Dalton Grant Jr. is here. Dalton is head of story at Floating World uh, and also the co-founder of Floating World. Um, Dalton, what is Floating World and what does the head of story do?
1: Um, we're an IP creation company and basically we take new intellectual properties based on either old Chinese myths, um, certain ideas that maybe some of our artists have, and um We try to create series and properties that could be used commercially. But most of uh, the head of story's job is to maintain the integrity of the story's points uh, across the board, since uh, story here apparently is a problem. A lot of the Chinese market is describing these issues they're having with storytelling, and they're equating to the amount of money that's earned from the films as a problem of the story. Like the stories aren't very good. And um, I, some of that is a little bit true, but a lot of it is, isn't. And I think a lot of it is just the immaturity of the market. Like it just needs time to grow.
0: Pardon the pun, but can you illustrate that a little bit? Like what? <laughs> sure. Um,
1: so right now there's way more, like 80% of what is seen in Chinese animation for the last 30 years is imported. And for a country that does more exporting than importing, it it's kind of a strange uh, rub to the to the society, where there are like for example, when Kung Fu Panda was done, the Chinese government's reaction, including the fan base, was, "How come we're not doing this? That's our national animal, and we can't make that." And a lot of that has little to do with some of the 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 things that they're saying. About story. I mean, you know, it's China. They invented paper. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think uh, we all know they tell amazing stories, and there are people here that tell amazing stories as well. It's just this is a new platform, like telling things through film and video. And you could argue that because China was so many years behind the Western nations, um, they're now in the space where we were in like the 1950s and 1960s. So, They have a larger middle class with disposable income, and animation is a luxury, even in the West. And so a lot of folks misplace where they're thinking why something is working or not. And instead of their unique issue, unlike when we were in the 1950s, there was no example. And so they have an example, and they can see what they can want, and they want it, and they have access to it even, and and distribution lines, but they can't tell you why. Because they didn't start it, they didn't they didn't plan it, and so it's harder to get an investor to say, "Hey, put several million dollars into this idea." And his idea, his thinking is, "That sounds like a good story to me, but how am I going to get my several million dollars back?" So instead of what you have in China is a fragmented market, and we have standard we standardized our market since we've been doing it from that time from the '60s till now. So. With no standards, it's harder to justify the cost. And that's where a lot of the issues are coming from.
0: Who are your clients?
1: Um, Tencent, um, what is it? Uh, Nick, Paramount, uh, Disney, all the different major distribution players, they're trying to tap in from the outside. And then you have like your Netflix, your Hulu's, Amazon, HBO those are different groups and they're trying to find ways of coming in to China and China's keeping them at arm's length. So groups like Tencent, Billy Billy, Yuku kind of are in control of the market now, but they're still searching for the answers and neither of the two groups are sharing the proper information because each one are, they're profitable as they are competitive and China tends to own what's on the television here. So, it's usually like an interesting split, like a 30-70 deal where the outside group gets 30% and the Chinese group gets 70. But the issue with that is that the Chinese market isn't the world market. And so when the China wants to take that information and put it out into the world market, it doesn't translate or it doesn't transfer the same. So trying to find the proper co-production that would do both, serve both both pipes, so to speak. Uh, evenly is the difficult task.
0: Do you think it could happen?
1: Um, Yeah, because they watch our stuff and no one said they couldn't or shouldn't. And I think story is universal. I just think that there's a lot of middlemen that for lack of a better term are ignorant to the market because they're young and they need to find ways of feeling comfortable about when you spend your money on the art or the artists that this is why you spend that money.
0: Isn't that sort of the tension, though, almost everywhere? Everywhere. And I was yeah. Like, yeah. So I was like, it's yeah. not a
1: real unique problem to China. Let's not mince words. I think actually China is doing a pretty decent job of trying to stay out of the way. But again, when it's fragmented, it's harder to gain trust when you're using that type of money. Like huge volumes of money is hard to say, hey, put your money in this thing and you don't know when or where it can come back.
0: You spent a lot of time in the States. I mean, that's where you cut your teeth as, right. as an animator. And, and you worked on some huge projects like Cars and um, DuckTales. DuckTales. You're wearing a world T-shirt world right now. <laughs> it's super cool. Yeah. Um, wh- what, what can you do in China that you couldn't do in the States?
1: Um, they, because it's so wide open and new, there are no st- and the standards aren't standardized, uh, let's say, for example, when you go to Disney and you work on a series that has like it, like for example, with DuckTales, it's a uh, le- uh, uh legacy project. So it has rules built in. There are things that you tend not to break, and because those rules are very defined, uh, Disney in that regard is very top down. So it's not like you can go in there and change the the vocabulary of DuckTales per se it has like a lot of licensing and things that are attached to that. So you work within it and that that's a different form of creativity. But when you're here it's like just don't step on don't talk about this issue based on the government and don't do this towards kids or whatever the rule of the day. But that's it. Like you can pretty much do anything. And I was like, wow, that's super wide open. I mean, it's like the wild, wild west out here. And I think that it's just a matter of People wanting to do more and being inspired by their own journeys and putting that those stories out there.
0: Yeah, I love what you say about working within the vocabulary of of, of you know whatever IP there was or whatever you were you were working on. You know, in, that case, in your case, it was Ducktales, and the creativity comes in other places. Like, wh- where does that creativity come from?
1: Um, so we we tend to go back to the great. Like, Carl Barks was the first um, Disney comic artist for the DuckTales universe. So when creating that newer series, the idea was to go back to the Carl Barks ways. The original DuckTales series was a spinoff for keeping animation um, professionals that were on the films during uh, downtime to do series work. And so it had an almost feature-esque quality to it, but it's hard to maintain that. Um, their salaries were a lot higher, the budgets were a little bit different at the time, and cable has changed. So a lot of the, the distribution, the, the, the marketing, the advertising, and um, the nature of the worker has changed too. Um, fast forward to now, it's more like everything's streaming, you have a, a lot more competition, so um, the way that we approach it is just what makes our show unique. And so... A lot, oftentimes, it's style, and it's also the, the craft of the writers, and having a good core writing team is more important. Who is
0: watching animation in China?
1: Man, everyone. Um, it's funny that films like, for example, Avatar, the, the feature uh, live-action film, it's still 80% animation. So what we're seeing is more and more animated features are doing better than live-action films. And this is true around the world. Now you could argue that it's because animation takes so long to produce that there's a stronger focus and emphasis on what you do produce because the amount of labor and effort up front is so takes time, whereas like a live action film with a digital camera can be shot really quickly. Um, You can make as many as you want. Uh, You can edit it on your phone. Like you know things have changed, so the quality level takes a dive, and so does. the type of curation for it is, is not the same either.
0: what worries you right now
1: I you know I, honestly i don't I don't have a worry other than just me as an artist not being able to keep expressing my my ideas. Um, I worry that I'll get complacent and not try to keep pushing further for story but um, at the moment I'm super optimistic because i did I thought you know being in the West, you're at the peak. We're at the the top of our market prowess, and all the things that we're producing is for unfortunately other people mm-hmm. and I didn't create that so it as much as I'm proud to have worked on most if all the credits I have it's still kind of I don't own any of it so I'd like to leave a mark like a bigger mark on the market if it's even possible not for money but for just myself just my own
0: I get it. I totally get that, 100%. <laughs> I mean, wh- so what are some of the things that you've created uh, since you've been in, in China that you, you, that you really love?
1: Well, we've since we're IP creation, we've been creating a lot of different stories on the side. One of them is the Kuti Academy, which hasn't been launched yet, but I was the showrunner and co-writer, co-creator, um, designer in some cases, and um, story artist, editor, director... Pro- producing as well like you've done a lot on that project um did you
0: get your own coffee? like what
1: uh <laughs> practically like <laughs> every morning on my way yes <laughs> definitely got my own coffee. uh but it, it, i mean it, that with that show i don't necessarily want to do that all the time but i do feel very like different after handling so many other aspects of the pipeline and um I feel like the my the reason why I did it was to set up a precedent and then create a pipeline based on that. And then from that structure, we find folks that can fill those 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 gaps
0: now i've he- i've he- I've listened to you talk about like how in the states with animation, per capita, animation makes. Uh, a lot more money than than live action and one of the reasons for that is because there's this whole galaxy of sort of tertiary things surrounding it right so if Disney makes a movie a Pixar movie or whatever you can sell I don't know what's, what's a recent Pixar movie um
1: um, uh, Luca.
0: Luca. Okay, sure. You can sell Luca dolls. Can yep. you sell Luca dolls? Yeah, you can. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure if there's if and they, Vespas they, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. <if> they, Vespa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. You can. You can. You can tell you it now. Does that? Does that market exist in China? And and if it and if it of
1: course yeah because China makes everything.
0: Oh yeah. Right. Like <laughs> I've, I've heard that. Yeah.
1: I yeah. mean. I mean. Honestly, like it can. It's just again. It's fragmented. Right, the two markets don't talk to each other. Um, In America, they've learned partnerships, uh, certain forms of not—it's legal monopoly, I would say, but still, you know, because Disney owns its distribution, it also owns its toy and manufacturing, and it also owns um, the the ability to see it on TV. So.
0: And they have an OTT service now. Yes.
1: So 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 here we are, right? Like yeah. and they own sports. They own I mean, sports. they yeah, own all, yeah, almost yeah. All, yeah, it's incredible. all sports. And Fox for for that matter. So like they've they've managed to uh, synchronize through all of the departments so they're less fragmented. So if you did have a crazy idea, you that's the beauty of that. You could do it because there's some congruency and you can get some leeway and traction and folks don't have to risk as much to do it. And so, good ideas can see the light of day, and that's the positive side of that.
0: How closely do you work with clients? I guess what, how much input do they
1: want as well? A lot, almost too much. <laughs> it's sad. Uh, I mean, it's like working with a architect, and you have no type of architecture degree or knowledge. You probably don't even know how to measure, but um, you are you are the buyer. You have a, a this false sense of power for education through your money. So these big money people want to believe they know what they know to be where they're at. And so they, when you're around specialists, you tend to want to not look like you're ignorant in the subject matter. And so the, I think I, it's I, just, I can relate. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's human, human need to want to be a part of that conversation better. So how do you manage that? I try to not put them in their place or say that they're wrong. What I try to do is let them see that what it is that's valuable about why they want it in the first place and then help help plant the seed. I'm like Inception. I I incept them with an idea that really was my idea but wasn't theirs.
0: What kind of stories work in China?
1: I think all stories. I mean, it's... I think story is universal because story is people. Story is character, right? So if you don't have a character, you really don't have a story. And if you mean like genre, characters are in all genres. So all stories are important. They're all useful it just depends on its vehicle i've
0: always felt like genre
1: doesn't even matter
0: like it's, it's who cares about the genre like if, if the story isn't doesn't if if, it's, if i love science fiction movies and i do but if it's it's a terrible story then i'm not going to watch it right <laughs> you know yeah, or i'm not yeah. going to enjoy it and you know but if it's a i don't know if it's a, a i mean i do love drama but say i didn't like drama if, if it was a great story i'm I'm going to enjoy you'll it you'll watch it yeah. right
1: of course and i think i think the reason why we categorize them so succinctly it's because so much money is involved now so sci-fi has a niche and there's certain ancillary products that could be sold through sci-fi and it's related to technology even like our phones or, or computers or all of that so that drives that those markets and so that's why those genres are helpful but outside i agree with you like from a human level it really doesn't matter i mean story is Good if there's a story there, if there's characters.
0: What about animation excites you?
1: I like taking something someone may or may not believe in and they, I can gain empathy. like I, I I always stop and ask myself, like none of this is real, And yet when people look at it, they they think that there's a, a soul there, and so it's like giving birth to something that has a life of its own once it leaves you. And it's like a, an amazing feeling. And it's always been there since the beginning. And it never stops.
0: Where do you see Floating World in five years?
1: Creating animation tools um, and helping create new, like, I hate to say for lack of a better word, I'd like to be the Pixar of China or somehow start help start the Pixar of China. So if if you come to us, the idea is like, we represent storytellers. We want to tell your story. We don't want to do it in a Western or Eastern or any specific way. We just believe if that story is worth telling, it, we we will do the best we can to get it out there.
0: Do you have time to watch animation right now?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm always watching. I, I just watched um, the Netflix, The Witcher, The Werewolf, and it was really beautiful. Like I was really shocked by how they told that. Uh, Gerald's story from another point of view or uh, you don't really, it's not Gerald, but it's a backstory where you see where Gerald came from as a kid. How did he become a witcher? Um, but I, I, I love the story. Like the idea of like, I don't know, like any type of animation that transcends, because I'm a worker, I work in it and I, I'm always looking at the details and the technical side, but if I can get lost in a scene, then you did your job, you know, and that's really what I try to look for.
0: What are current favorites?
1: That's I loved Luca. I, I was surprised at how elegant and simple it was. It reminded me of like like how I like uh, Totoro from Miyazaki. It's um not a big plot, not some huge the world's gonna be destroyed if we don't do X it's just a simple human story you know kids growing up friendship what does that mean to you and so i i kind of like those slice of life kind of shows and films and you know like stand by me like it's it's just kids having problems and then trying to work through them and you know I, I just love that type of story and luca was definitely on that on that note i did like the um nudja film as well nudja was um Two what was it two years ago I think, or a year ago, but oh three years, good grief! But I, I for China I thought that was an amazing accomplishment. Um, I watched it with no subtitles, and I don't speak Mandarin, and I understood all of the most important elements of why that film works, and that was all visual, and it I remember. Like when I was at Pixar, I would I learned under the late great Joe Rampt, you know, rest in peace. He um he used to always tell me if you know if you want to know if your sequence is really working, just turn the volume off and watch it. And if it's not clear, then you need to go back to the drawing board. And that film kind of hit me as that that truth. And I'm like, so there are good storytellers here. It's just there's a lot of things in the way of allowing that to happen the right way.
0: Tell me about this trip you're taking down South soon. You're going to be doing some educating. Is that, is that yes. right?
1: Yes. We, so, um, part of trying to help the animation community here. So backstory in, in America, I went to, I wanted to go to Cal Arts, but I wasn't good enough of an artist to get my portfolio in there. Um, I mean, I probably was good enough, but let's say I didn't work hard enough to, on a portfolio. How about that? Because <laughs> uh, I obviously ended up working at Disney anyway. But Disney funds CalArts. I think they give them somewhere north of $20 million every year towards their program. So they have Disney artists that go to that program, and they give you your classes. And most of the students stay there for about two, three years, and then they're in the industry. And if you don't go to Disney, you end up at Warner Brothers or 20th Century Fox or Sony somewhere. Um, and they're known for that. But it's very rigorous courses. It's hard to get in, but you get industry kind of apprenticeship when you, when you do get to go there. Like You'll have like the guy who animated Ariel come in and give a lecture. And you're like, man, like you're learning way more advanced stuff. And China's trying to figure out ways of getting its workforce to match the demand of animation, because the demand is very huge here, but there's not enough workers to actually meet the demand. So my goal is to try to do what we were doing in the West and start educating students at an earlier age to know that this is A, a career path, and B, these are the skills. If you practice these things, you can achieve these things with the markets wide open, and they'll be willing to hire you and, and do more with you. But if they don't know you're there, <laughs> and you don't know what to do to get to them, it'll probably never happen.
0: So, so how do you how do you um, attend one of one of these sessions? Like, is that is already set? Is that already set?
1: We are planning on how to work with the school systems right now. We're linked with six different groups. Uh, three, at least three or four of them are vocational colleges, and then. Three, the other three are universities. Okay. So we're, we're planning on trying to see what their issues are first because I know it's not like state schools, the, the, the way they function. Certain things similar, most things not. So first let me figure out what the problems are that the teachers are dealing with. Let me help them because the idea is not to blow over what they've been doing or, or ridicule them for not being able to understand the things that are obvious to us and you know, I've been working in, you know for 20 years these folks have not in the industry but I'm not going to sit here and f- force them aside and say hey no this is how it should be done I'd rather work with them figure out what their problems are and then try to help through that through building that way
0: Dalton Grant Jr. thank you so much
1: Hey no no problem thanks for having me
0: All right that was my conversation with Dalton Grant Jr. to find out more about what he does and all the services that floating world offers go to his website at floatingworldanimation.net okay coming up right now a couple of dispatches from the international winter sports expo that just finished up in beijing last weekend stick around for that If you haven't already noticed the spread of ice rinks in China, you probably will soon. One of the companies behind the expansion is Advanced Sporting Technology. To explain what they're building and where they're building it. I caught up with Marco, AST's general manager here in Beijing, at the International Winter Sports Expo at Shogang Park. And we are doing uh,
2: winter sports infrastructure, like for example ice rinks, professional ice rinks for competitions, but also like leisure ice rinks uh, for public skating. Uh, and in China, we also because China is big, the market demand is China is bigger, so we are also doing like ski resort projects. Like we are. Uh, making concepts and designs for ski resorts.
0: So, so with the uh, Winter Olympics coming along, is there an uptick in the amount of rinks that you're, you're making right now?
2: Yeah, when Beijing uh, won the bid for the Winter Olympic Games, we saw like, a big boost in the market. Like Everybody was talking about China being the largest winter sport market in the world, which is true, but uh, the development didn't start uh, when Beijing got the bid. It started much earlier. It was just, I would say, the most significant milestone in this, uh, in this process of development. Uh, and we saw a, an increase of ice rinks that we uh, sold all over China. Also here, we are here in Shogang. They made this place not only the Beijing organizing committee, but also a training facility for the Chinese Olympic teams. And we provided four uh, international standard ice rinks in here. So this is just one example of uh, like side projects that we did uh, that come along with Olympic games, but are not, not directly an Olympic project, but a training facility for the Olympic teams.
0: Where are your customers?
2: They're all over China. They're everywhere. We're building, uh, for example, uh, I'm sure everybody knows what uh, go-kart is. And we built the Asia's first go-kart track on ice, where the cars have spikes and you can really drive on ice. Uh, It's in Changchun. We just delivered 10 uh, large 1,800 square meter ice rings in Harbin. Uh, We did the competition venues for the speed skating uh, discipline for the Olympic Games here in Beijing, uh, we did uh, projects in Chengdu, we did outdoor uh, like fun par- ice fun parks in Shanghai, so really all over the country. So we are here because, first of all, this is the largest winter sport exhibition in Asia. Um, even though there are now all those restrictions with traveling, you can see there are still a lot of people here, uh, so a lot of people are interested in winter sports, apparently, and uh, Our goal here is just to introduce the local people of Beijing, our Austrian winter sports culture. We are a winter sports country. Introduce our
0: technology and just have fun. How do you get more people to take advantage of China's ski slopes? One way is to train more skiers. At Beijing's International Winter Sports Expo at Shogang Park last weekend, officials launched the Get Into Snow Sports program. After so the this, launch, this launch, I spoke with Freddie Bacon, an advisor program. to the project, um, so to talk about the, letting the letting program's
3: American goals. Exists, and we're actually pushing out now to deliver both instructor education, but also um, courses for mass participants, so uh, we can do, as the title says, get more people into snow sports. Why is that important? I think it's important in China in, in the way that it's becoming a lot more accessible, whereas in um, lots of other parts of the world, skiing is less accessible. Um, due to costs and having to travel, but with all the infrastructure developments in China, particularly the indoor centers, which is where this program will be run quite a lot in, uh, all of the, with, in partnership with SUNAC, uh, it is becoming more accessible for schools and uh, organizations to just, everybody get into it as opposed to uh, only being sort of accessible for a few. What's your history with the sport? Like, are you, uh, are you a skier or a snowboarder? Yeah, I'm. I'm a snowboarder. My uh, my colleague is a, a skier. Um, I've been. Um, I've worked in the ski industry my my whole career. Um, started off as an instructor and uh, worked through into snow, ski and snowboard school management, and then also resort operations management. And uh, yeah, as I said now working an advisory capacity for brands and resorts in China. Um, how does China differ from the other places that you've been to um, in in that capacity? Well. In many ways now, China differs because uh, it's actually doing a lot of things very, very well. Um, you'll notice in that presentation that was the introducing the mini program and the, the, the WeChat platform. The, the way technology is advanced in China with the use of mini programs is allowing resorts to make customer experiences much more efficient. And it's allowing students that participate in this program to be able to access all of their data in real time, see where they're, what they've learned, what they're progressing. Whereas, if you look at still North American resorts and European resorts, all of this stuff is still being done on pen and paper. Um, So, China is actually shaping the way for for the ski and snowboard industry and there's a lot that other countries could learn. Um, Where where it differs, you know, perhaps not on a negative side, but just in the sense that there's still uh, learning, learning happening, lots of the resorts here are quite young, so the operations uh, are still maturing in many ways. But actually, if you just see the improvements that are made year on year in all of the resorts, and uh, the, the indoor centres here are just fantastic. Uh, I've uh, I've had the um, I've worked in indoor centres in Europe, and then I've worked I've been involved with the indoor centres here, and the difference in quality from, from China is, is really impressive. I I just got here about an hour ago. I didn't really
0: realize just how massive this place was. Have you had a chance to walk around and see anything?
3: Yeah, we've been walking around, and and whilst I've been in China and involved with the ski industry for a long time and known about Shogun, and this is where the big air will be hosted for the Olympics, uh, I've never actually been. Um, I know there's obviously a huge old steelworks that's now become the head of the um, Beijing Olympic Organizing Committee, so their offices are here. And it'd be interesting to see what happens with this whole site uh, in terms of legacy after the Olympics. But the um, the big air jump that's been built here is phenomenal. Um, and that will be used for many, many years to come. And I'm sure there'll be lots of World Cups after the Olympics in that area. Yeah, I'm looking forward to
0: it. Okay, thank you so much for your time. That's great. That is all for this week. Thanks so much for listening. I will see you next week with, I think, musician Tom Knight. I'll try to get that sorted this week. All right. Talk to you soon.